0: You'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. It is time for another solo episode. I do these solo episodes once a month just to have a chance for us to connect deeper for me to share more of my teachings and my lessons that i'm learning along my creative spiritual journey and i wanted to take today to talk about my journey with spirituality and yeah, I realized that I wanted to, to kind of conceptualize this journey of the personal journey that I've gone on, hoping that sharing some of my personal stories and experiences could help mirror or inspire you along your path. I'm excited because I haven't actually shared much about my personal spiritual journey on here. I love to talk to guests about their journeys and, and what they're up to and, and what they've discovered but, yeah, I haven't really shared more of my personal stories since the very first episode. I touched on it a little bit there because that, you know, spirituality and creativity is so intertwined with my being. And and that journey of really discovering who I am and deepening my spiritual practice over the years. And I've just learned so much. And so I just kind of wanted to share that today. And so, cozy in, I feel like it's a bit... A bit of a story time this might be a little bit longer than my usual solo episodes but I just want to dive in I have a cup of coffee with some cinnamon and some hazelnut creamer by my side so wherever you are if you're enjoying your morning coffee or going for a walk or going for a drive or however you like to listen to your podcast just settle in and allow this to be a mirror and a reflection to you in your own experience So I want to start with how I grew up and what first comes to mind is spirituality. To me, I never really equated spirituality with religion which I find really interesting, because I think most people, when you hear spir- spirituality, you know, the first thought is religion. And I actually didn't even realize this until I started hosting this podcast and started to ask people about their spiritual practice or their spiritual beliefs. And in my mind, spirituality to me has always meant things like yoga, things like meditation, things like Crystals and tarot, like that is my form of spiritual practice. And of course, everything intertwined with creativity as well writing, journaling, meditating, walking, all those practices to me are just as much spiritual practices as they are creative practices. But when I started to ask people this question, you know, this podcast is all about the intersection of spirituality and creativity. And when they would answer with, their religion or their faith, I was kind of like taken by surprise, which looking back is so silly of me, but it just goes to show that we can really only see things from our perspective until we listen and learn from others. And so when people would answer about their faith, I was in my in the back of my mind, I was like, wait, that's not what I really meant. And then I, I kind of had to reframe that and think, okay, like religion and growing up with organized forms of religion is something that a lot of people experience and the reason why I don't equate religion with spirituality is because I did not grow up with a very organized form of religion. I grew up, my mom is from Russia and She is Jewish, she's a Russian Jew, but she grew up during communist Russia and so organized religion was not something allowed in communist Russia and so she is Jewish by blood, but she didn't even know that she was Jewish until she was 18 years old. So she didn't grow up with a very organized faith in that way, even though her family is very Jewish. She grew up with a lot of very Jewish customs and traditions. But she didn't really realize that until she was much older. And my dad, he grew up Christian. Uh, My grandma, who is 97 years old and who I love so much, she still goes to her Episcopalian church every Sunday. And she, you know, church and God has always been a big part of her life. But And so I grew up as a kid. When my parents got married, actually, my dad converted to Judaism. He just had an interest and a passion in Judaism. And it's a little bit unusual for people to convert to Judaism. Most Jewish people are born into it. And again, I'm speaking from this perspective where I feel a bit removed from it. I don't feel very involved in the culture or the religion or the practices. These are just, you know, where I come from and how I understand it. And so I grew up celebrating both Hanukkah and Christmas. I My dad was really into the Jewish holidays and practices, so we would celebrate Yom Kippur and Hanukkah, and then for Christmas, we would go to my grandma's house, who, like I mentioned, is Christian. She always celebrated the holidays, but I never celebrated Easter or anything else like that. So growing up, I didn't really have this understanding of f- formal, organized religion, Although I would consider myself, I think even in high school, I would consider myself a very spiritual person, meaning that I believed in God and I believed in a higher power, a higher universe, and really just felt this connection with people, with nature, and with something greater than us. And I will say that my mom, as long as I've known her, so my 26 years, 26, yes, I'm 26. My 26 years, she's always been very spiritual, very into the mysticism, very into the yogic spiritual traditions. And so definitely come from that lineage, again, even though it wasn't something organized or formal, And so, you know, as I'm thinking back to like my spiritual practice and what is my spiritual practice, where did it begin? When I was a teenager, so when I was 14 years old, we grew up in Pennsylvania and I had, I was born and raised in the same house from zero ages birth to the age of 14. And when I was 14, my mom decided to move us to an ashram in California and if you don't know what an ashram is, an ashram is a place where they study yoga and meditation. It's a communal place really focused on values of community and connection and deepening spiritual practice. I always give the example that Elizabeth Gilbert went to an ashram in India when during her Eat, Pray, Love journey she went to an ashram in India. And so at the time I didn't know anything about yoga, didn't know anything about meditation. I was 14 years old, and my mom announced that she was going to move us across the country away from all my friends. I had a lot of really good friends in Pennsylvania, um, where I was going to school at the time and, and just had a really vibrant social life, was involved in theater and all of those things. And it was my, you know, my my home, my childhood home. And suddenly we were moving to this place in the in the foothills of northern California in the mountains like very isolated this isolated community and so it was a big transition and I thought it was really weird I felt really embarrassed and ashamed to tell people that I was moving to an ashram mostly because nobody knows what Nobody knew, especially at that time, what that was, at least my circle of people. Nobody knew what an ashram was. Uh, Nobody was even really practicing yoga back at that time. Like practicing yoga was not the cool thing that it is now or the grounded practice that it is now. It was very strange. And I felt really embarrassed to tell people about, you know, the, the environment that I was in because it was also an environment that was so foreign to me so when we moved to this ashram again like i said it was very isolated in the foothills of northern california we lived in this tiny cabin with four of my siblings and at the ashram people go there kind of as like a form of retreat or a form of personal study and the schedule is very disciplined and regimented and it's the same every day it doesn't change so they would wake up there would be a bell that would ring at 5 30 a.m every morning And the community would wake up, and at 6 a.m. they would go to meditation, satsang. So it would be some time for meditation, prayer, maybe some kirtan, which is chanting, uh, devotional chanting to the divine. And then there would be a two-hour yoga class from 8 to 10 a.m. Then 10 a.m. there'd be breakfast. Then at 11 a.m., between like 11 and 4 p.m., That was time for either special classes or workshops that were going on. They would host a bunch of, you know, week-long workshops, month-long workshops. And then also there'd be time for karma yoga, which karma yoga is the yoga of service. And so that basically in my teenage mind meant chores. And so people would be, you know, upkeeping the ashram, helping out guests, all those types of things. And then at 4 p.m. there would be another two-hour yoga class from 4 to 6. And then 6 p.m. would be dinner. And then at 8 p.m., 8 to 10 p.m., there would be another satsang. So another meditation, another prayer, maybe a teaching from the swamis that were there. So it was this very structured, formal environment. And because I was a teenager at the time and I was still going to school, I wasn't so involved in the daily activities of the ashram life because I was going to school. I had after school activities. I was studying after school. But... You know, during this time when I had just moved across the country, away from all my friends, away from all the people I loved and was trying to, like, navigate this new terrain that was a very foreign environment for me, I, my mom encouraged me to take some of the yoga classes there because I was living there and they were free and why not take advantage of that? And so it was the very first yoga class that I had ever been to was at this ashram in Northern California And the style of yoga that they teach is called Shivananda Yoga. And Shivananda Yoga is under the teachings of Swami Shivananda, who actually studied in Rishikesh, India, which is where I got my yoga teacher training. So a little bit of a full circle moment there. But he you know, there were disciples under him that created these Shivananda ashrams all over the world, and which is one of the ashrams that we were staying at. So Shivananda Ashram Shivananda Yoga is a very like methodical slow form of yoga it's Similar to hatha yoga or what I've come to understand as hatha yoga, but it's very structured. So the way that the class would go is the first 30 minutes is strictly pranayama. So we do a variety of breathing exercises. Then the next 30 minutes was 12 rounds of sun salutation and every class was the same. It was the same structure. You don't have that like freedom of deciding what you want to do today. It's like a very disciplined, structured form of yoga. So the next 30 minutes would be 12 rounds of sun salutations. And then the le- the next hour was a series of 12 postures that you would do. And they really focus on like long holds. And again, it's the same 12 postures. It doesn't change class to class. And so that was my introduction to yoga. And so that's what I thought yoga was. And I remember being 14 and like being in these classes and kind of hating it and dreading it. But after after completing the two-hour class, I always felt so much better, so much more tapped in, so much more grounded into my being. And I noticed that it just allowed me to kind of have these two hours for myself. And even when I was stressed about homework, because I was a very studious child and teenager, I loved to study, I loved to do homework. And so it was kind of my chance to like, just do something physical and connect with myself in quiet. And so that was my introduction to yoga. I did that. We, we lived at that ashram for two years. And so I would say probably like for a year, I was going to yoga regularly. And then when we moved out of the ashram, I kind of, and at the time, also side note, like I mentioned yoga, Again, I was like embarrassed to tell people that I lived in an ashram and that I was practicing yoga after school. It like was not a cool thing to do. And I remember looking at a magazine and seeing suddenly like things about yoga, and I was like, "Wait, you, like other people practice yoga?" And of course, I want to mention that this is just coming from my perspective. You know, yoga is centuries, thousands of years old, age old tradition, and many, many people have been practicing yoga. In other parts of the world so obviously it was very popular in other parts of the world but I'm talking about like in the mainstream society and as a teenager I was very interested in what the mainstream culture was doing at the time so that's what I mean when I say nobody was really doing yoga of course people were doing yoga but just wanted to say that so after that, yeah, after we moved at the ashram, I kind of stopped my practice because I really didn't feel like it was my practice. It was just something that I was going to to be part of the community at the ashram. And I knew that I wanted to do my yoga teacher training one day. I had thought about doing it at the ashram, but, and they offer teacher trainings. And so even when I was like 15, I wanted to do a teacher training. But it would take 30 days. It was a 30-day intensive program, and I was in school, and so they didn't have any this summer. So the timing with school and everything didn't work out. But so then I, you know continued doing a little bit of yoga here and there. So, it wasn't until I went to college and I studied musical theater in college, so I was taking acting classes and really diving into my creativity there, and I was I was drawing a lot of parallels between yoga and meditation with acting. And something that I was learning throughout my time at college was that, you know, the principles that they teach in acting, which a lot of a lot of you know the techniques and methods of acting are about being in the moment. So it acting is really a practice of being present and listening and responding and really allowing yourself to kind of tap into another person's shoes or tap into deeper parts of yourself and really just be present with what is. You know, the best, you know, with acting, the best thing that you can do is is really like ground and drop into what is present and just be open to listen and respond. And, and that's, those are the principles that I learned throughout my time in college. And I was really finding those parallels between acting and meditation or acting and yoga and realizing that they're teaching the same exact things. They're just different practices, different ways to approach, approach the same subject. And so I was making those connections throughout college, was also doing a lot of like holistic practices like voice lessons through Catherine Fitzmorris, which is also very based off like yogic postures. And so a lot of the, the classes that I was taking in college had a lot of similarities to yoga physically and also mentally, emotionally. And so I kind of felt like that was my spiritual practice throughout college. So then when I was probably like a junior or senior in college, I started to get into this world of modern wellness and this world of of influencers. You know, that's when Instagram, I feel like that wasn't even that long ago. But Instagram was a place where you could find health bloggers, like I feel like those health smoothie bloggers were really around at the time. I don't know if any of you followed them, but I started to kind of get into like health and wellness. And I started to listen to one podcast called the Balanced Blonde Soul on Fire podcast. And she would bring on a lot of like health and wellness people, which I wasn't like super interested in, but interested enough to keep listening, and. Then I remember her podcast really started to get into spirituality and spirituality in terms of like Pleiadians and aliens, which can be really out there and is really out there. And things like Kundalini yoga, things like cacao ceremonies and all of the like basic things that you think of now when I think of modern spirituality. And so listening to this podcast, I you know had an interest in it and I felt like for the first time because I had really rejected that part of myself that lived at the ashram because I just thought it was so weird and so out there and so like not what I what I deemed as cool at the time so I'd kind of really rejected that part of my experience and myself and I and I never told people about the ashram even today talking about the ashram and, and what I experienced, on the podcast, it's like there's a little part of me that's like people are going to think I'm really out there and that's OK. You can think I'm out there just sharing my experience. But so listening to this podcast, the Soul and Fire Balanced Blonde podcast, she started to get into some of these like spiritual topics. And I started to, for the first time, have my own interest in these topics, not what my mom was was interested in and just was was following suit because I had to, because I was a kid, not because the ashram was talking about it, but really because I like had this newfound interest. And I feel like for the first time I felt like spirituality and modern wellness was becoming a little bit more mainstream and a little bit more cool, quote unquote. So of course I was like getting, getting into it. And was practicing yoga throughout college and all those things. And I remember Jordan, who does the balance Blonde, she started talking about Pleiadians. And Pleiadians are light beings from another planet, aliens, you can call them. And it's funny because I remember when I was a senior in high school, I became obsessed with the Pleiadians. I... Literally, I remember there was this, like, YouTube video. I don't even know how I found them. But somehow, maybe on YouTube, going on a rabbit hole, I found this video that was, like, a message from the Pleiadians. And it was this 20-minute long video. And it, the, the video was just a black screen and a person talking in this, like, robotic alien voice. And for some reason, I just thought it was the most fascinating thing ever. I'm a Sagittarius. And so I'm very interested in the meaning of the universe and expanding our horizons and expanding consciousness and, and all of those things. And so I think that's definitely where that interest came from. And I remember I was like trying to make all my friends watch this video. I was like, you have to watch the video. The Pleiadians are here. The aliens are here. And, you know, of course, they either watched or just laughed or brushed me off. And so You know, that was in 2012, 2011, 2012. And then fast forward like four years later, as I'm listening to this podcast and I'm getting into, Jordan starts talking about the Pleiadians. And I really attribute this person, Jordan, uh, Jordan Younger, for those of you who follow her or know her work, she played a major role in my spiritual awakening because even though I had been introduced to these concepts, introduced to these things, I really rejected it because I thought it wasn't cool. Again, quote unquote. And she really like, it like reignited my passion for it all. So that's just to say, shout out to Jordan Younger, who is just doing her thing and such a sweet person. I actually met her in Bali when I was on my solo trip in Bali last uh, in 2019. I was sitting at this cafe in Ibud called Alchemy, it's like this raw vegan cafe. And I was sitting there by myself with my journal, and then she walked in with her husband. They were on their honeymoon, and I was freaking out because he was like a celebrity to me. I was freaking out. I was texting my sister like, should I go say hi? She's like, you have to say hi. And I was feeling so nervous, and then she helped me have the courage to say hi. And we ended up taking a picture together, and it was really sweet. They were both really sweet. And so thankful to my sister for Making me brave even from, you know, across the world from each other. So shout out to Sarah as well. A uh, little side note. So yeah, I, I started to get more into kind of like that modern wellness stuff, you know, based off Instagram and all those things. And then I graduated college and I spent a summer, you know, going through some stuff. I had just like broken up with my college boyfriend or it, it was just a lot. And I was really turning to these podcasts and, like, really diving into things like aliens, things like Reiki, things like Kundalini, and just kind of was interested in all of it. And, yeah. So then I graduated, and I moved to Connecticut. And when I first moved to Connecticut, again, it was, like, this cross-country move. I'd been living in Pennsylvania, lived in California for, like, 10 years And then moved back to the East Coast. But I'd never been to Connecticut. I moved to, again, a foreign environment. And the place that I was living, the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center, which is the theater that I was working at. it's right by the Long Island Sound. So it, it, it was a very, again, a full circle moment or full circle experience because at the theater you live in a small community. You're kind of isolated. It's not really around a lot of things. I didn't have a car, so I couldn't really drive places. So you're kind of like stuck, isolated where you are. And it's a beautiful place. There's beautiful nature. But it reminded me a lot of the ashram. It reminded me a lot, again, of like being in this communal living situation and really diving deep into my studies. I was working like a nine to five office job. But then after that, I had nothing else to do. And I was used to being in school and having this really rigorous schedule, like when I was in school, I never had any free time. I was so busy from like morning until evening. But being, you know, back out into the real world and and kind of navigating what post-grad life might look like, I had a lot more time on my hands. And so I started really diving into my spiritual practice then. And I feel like that period of my life, like that first year out of college, because I wasn't around people... That I knew, I, I met people at the O'Neill and I felt instantly comfortable with them and there's kind of like this built-in family there because it's such a tight-knit community and you're living and working with the same people. So I felt really comfortable with the community I was with, but I was also having a chance to kind of figure out like my own spiritual inner world without having, you know, any of my usual familiarities or comforts. And so I was really diving into my meditation practice. I started, I, I was meditating before that, but I started meditating like every day. I started taking really long walks at the ocean and was just finding so much spiritual comfort in the ocean, which I've always had my whole life. I'm a mermaid at heart, always have been. And in college, I lived right next to the ocean too. And that was definitely part of like my practice as well. But the ocean was like my refuge during that period of my life where I would go to the ocean and would just like think for hours or would meditate and kind of feel connected to something larger than me. And of course, was writing a lot and singing and so was still doing a lot of these creative practices, which I do deem as spiritual practices, right? If I think of spiritual practices as something that gets you into flow or gets you in the moment, basically, in other words, drops you into presence. So I was doing all those things and still listening to podcasts and still finding some refuge there. And so I was in this job and... It's a long story there. There's a lot of like intricate moments of of that, but I was only supposed to stay one year. I ended up staying two and I was kind of just like in this job now. And I was like, is this what adult life is? Like now I just have a job and now I just work at this job until forever. And you know, all of those post-grad life questions. Let me tell you, post-grad, if you are in a season of being post-grad, I would say that was that was the most like transformative and hardest times of my life just because you're questioning so much. I think you're going through such a major transition of like leaving this really structured world and entering into a world that you make your own. And suddenly you have a lot more choice and freedom and it just can be really hard to navigate. So sending love and blessings to anyone going through that transition. If you are, reach out to me because I think that... that transition has always um, stood out in my mind as like one of the most informative and transformative periods of my life but also really difficult and then I quit my job and went to travel around the world I so I like I'd mentioned I'd always wanted to do yoga teacher training but I just didn't know when the time was going to be right I was in school so I couldn't really take time off school and I was in this job and I realized that I wanted to leave the job. I wanted to move to New York City. That was always the goal to move to New York City. I just ended up in Connecticut first by fate, met my partner who I'm with now, and definitely feel like that was fated, definitely feel like that was divinely guided. And so I was going to leave this job and I thought, okay, what better time now to finally do my yoga teacher training after I leave this job, you know, in between leaving the job and moving to New York, I'll have some time to travel and time to do my yoga teacher training. And I also in college, I tried to do some yoga classes, but because I was introduced to yoga from this very Eastern perspective, like it it was grounded in Eastern philosophy. It was grounded in all the eight limbs of yoga rather than just one limb of yoga, which is the asana, which is what in the West we kind of think of when we think of yoga. When we think of yoga, we think asanas and that's just how it is in the West because you know we don't like to dive into all the traditions because they're traditions that aren't that aren't native to ourselves and so you know and with commodification and capitalism i could talk about the commodification and capitalism of yoga forever and actually i have someone coming on next week joyti who uh, we also get into yoga a bit there so more to come but Yeah, because I had been introduced to yoga from this very Eastern perspective, going to yoga studios in the States really turned me off to yoga. I spent a summer in between my junior and senior year of college going to Core Power Yoga with one of my friends, and she, like, fell in love with Core Power, and I was like, what is this place? It was in Orange County in Southern California, and so, you know, I don't want to harp on stereotypes, but the stereotypes are true, And I was like, this isn't yoga. This is a place for a really fit, beautiful women to like get their sweat on. And it was much more physically exercise based. And I was like, this isn't spiritual for me. Like to me, yoga is a spiritual practice. It's not a physical practice. The physical part of it is nice to kind of get into your body, but it's not a physical form of exercise for me. Like If I want to exercise, I'm going to do something else. I'm not doing yoga to exercise where in orange county where i was living and in many parts of the u.s yoga is seen as a form of physical exercise so i was really turned off to studios there and knew that I did not want to do a yoga teacher training at in the in the us, in the West, because I did not want to have this focus on the physical aspect. Like I really was more interested in the philosophies and and the spiritual practices behind yoga and really what the physical practice is trying to teach you. So I, I wanted to, you know, be authentic as possible and study yoga in the birthplace of yoga, which is Rishikesh, India. That's where they say, You know, the monks and the yogis were living in the Himalayan mountains in India. And that's where they kind of studied yoga. And so I was really fascinated with this idea of going to Rishikesh, India to study yoga. And so I did it. And honestly, for anyone interested in getting their yoga teacher training, I will forever recommend going to Rishikesh. I can share a little bit more about my experience. But it was way cheaper than the programs in the u.s i i know like i was looking at some yoga studios that they can be like two thousand to four thousand dollars and my program in india was eight hundred dollars for the entire month so that included not only the training your 200 hour training but also the lodging and the food so i was like 800 dollars is what i would pay on rent to get a teacher training as well and to be able to eat three meals a day three delicious meals a day it was really a great deal and obviously you know getting yourself to india is a whole another thing Paying for the plane ticket And then also just having the privilege of being able to take a month off of your life and your responsibilities to study, I know is such a privilege, but again, I planned it out in the way that I was doing it in between leaving my job and moving to a new city. So I went to India, studied yoga, and it really was the experience I was looking for, really based in Eastern philosophies and traditions, and just loved it. And and it was, again, a very full circle moment from studying and being at the ashram to now being at an ashram in India. And it was just fascinating. We were practicing yoga three hours a day. We would have meditation for like 40 minutes every day. We were studying more chants and some Sanskrit chants. And I remember like being in this in this deep study. And again, I'm a Sagittarius, so I love deep study and I love spiritual pursuits. And I would just like feel so good breathing like i learned how to breathe in my yoga teacher training and i i remember one class i think it was a pranayama class and we learned all these different pranayama techniques and we had this one practice where we were just laying down breathing for 20 minutes. We were just supposed to focus on the inhale and the exhale. And in in our busy lives in the West, you know, when do we spend 20 minutes laying on the floor, focusing on our breath? I mean, unless you're taking a yoga class or anything of the like, you're, you're not laying there breathing. And it was, I, like, I tapped into this feeling Of presence. And I remember after breathing, like I felt orgasmic. I felt so good. And that wasn't my experience every time, of course. We have to get through limitations of the mind. But when I was able to tap into this, like, really grounded sense of presence, I felt like the whole world had opened up to me. And I remember also there was this one time in meditation where I was meditating and I was kind of like thinking you know, we, we would do this practice where we would sit for 20 minutes and we weren't allowed to move. We weren't allowed to like fidget in any way. We were just supposed to stay still and focus on our breath. And I was sitting there in meditation. And like, of course, you know, my monkey mind is like my, my foot's asleep. My back hurts, you know, thinking about all these different kinds of things. And then I remember there was this moment that felt to me, I can describe it as I felt like I had a key that fit perfectly into this door. And it just like clicked and it unlocked. And suddenly I was like vibrating on a different frequency. I was vibrating on a different dimension where suddenly like I felt myself be that observer of my experience instead of being such a participant in my experience. I really felt this like bird's eye view of being an observer. And it was it was one of the first times I had felt that it was like the first night of our yoga teacher training in our first meditation class. And that is a feeling that I always want to hold on to and definitely has happened very infrequently as your practice goes on. You know, one of those like rare moments, but that just showed me what a meditation practice can give you. This like unlocking into this these deeper parts of yourself in this honestly other dimension, other frequency. So I loved my yoga teacher training so much. And then after that, I spent a month in Bali alone And after that, Thailand. And during my time in Bali, which is also a very like spiritual connected place, it's a mecca for spiritual seekers. Again, another place that Elizabeth Gilbert went to and eat, pray, love. But in Bali, I really faced the shadow aspects of myself. I was really uncomfortable, like not having anything to do because I, like I said, I had quit my job and I was in this very transitory moment and really in the in between of not knowing what was going to happen next I was going to come back to the states without a job without a place to live like me leaving my job in Connecticut was also leaving my place of living leaving my partner who I mentioned that I'm still with today and so it was just like a, a very like ungrounded time where I was really figuring out my soul and really being alone for the first time with myself you know I, I've spent So much of my life surrounded by people and I love people so much and I grew up with seven siblings. I grew up in a family of 10 people and so as a kid there was never any alone time ever and in college I had roommates and I lived with my best friends and so I was never alone then and so traveling for me, that's why I love solo travel so much because it's my chance to actually be alone. It's my chance to discover parts of myself that I usually don't get to hear. And it's my chance to really listen to my intuition. I think during this trip, I really developed this strong relationship with my intuition. And I was so fearful before going on this three-month trip to Southeast Asia. I had solo traveled before in Europe So I'd never been to Southeast Asia. I didn't know what it was going to be like. I I didn't know if I was going to be safe. I was so worried about like catching dengue fever because dengue fever is a thing in India and in Bali. And, And I've heard horror stories about people getting sick from eating the food. And so I was just I was so worried about all these different things. I really had a lot of fear surrounding in like making the sleep. And this trip really taught me and showed me that, like, I can listen to my intuition, that I do have these guides, you know, connecting with me. And I really connected to my spirit guides on that trip. And I remember this moment. There was two moments that I want to share. So the first was about a week before I left for my journey. And again, this was me leaving my home that I had cultivated for the last two years, my partner, my work, like everything familiar, everything safe, everything comfortable. I was going to leave that. And I was in that moment where like, you're about to make the leap, but you haven't made it yet. So you don't know how your life is gonna change. You don't know how it's gonna feel. You're just kind of terrified of it. And also life is still just going on as normal. So you're like, what should I be feeling right now? And I was feeling just a lot of fear. And I had this moment where I was swimming in the ocean and I saw these butterflies like flying above me and I just felt like this deep, deep connection to my angels, my spirit guides of like trust. It's okay. Just trust, just trust, just trust, just trust. So I was feeling better, trusting and then when I arrived to India and it took me like three days to get to India. I first flew from JFK to the Ukraine, which was like a 10 hour flight. And then I had a 15 hour layover in the Ukraine. And then it was like another seven hour flight to New Delhi. And then in New Delhi, I had to take a smaller plane to, to a small city outside of Rishikesh because Rishikesh is up in the mountains of Northern India. And so when I I had gone through this, like, two and a half day journey, was super tired, super jet lagged, and just, like, going through a lot emotionally, and when I got to New Delhi and was flying to this, like, next airport where I was going to get picked up by the yoga studio, we were in this tiny plane, like, the tiniest plane I've ever seen or been in, and we were taking off from New Delhi, and it was super rocky, and I'm usually not afraid on flights. Like, I love flying. I never feel that fearful but I was so scared and I was like I might die on this plane and of course my mind was going through all of these scenarios of like you know why did I come and then I had this like deeper inner knowing where I I was just like you know I can sit here and be really freaked out and be really anxious and fearful that's a choice or I can trust that my angels, my spirit guides, did not send me to India to die on the plane towards my destination. And I mean, of course, anything can happen at any time. But I just knew. I was like, there's no way. This is not why I'm here. Like, I felt strongly that I had to come here. I knew that there was something for me here. I knew that this was an experience that I wanted to have. And my angels did not send me here so that I could die on this tiny little plane. And when I when I realized that, like something shifted, where I was like, yeah. So so I have a choice now. Like I'm on this plane. I can't get off. There's nothing I can do about it. So I can either sit here and fear that something's going to happen, or I can just accept my situation and accept and know and trust that like I am taken care of. I am safe. I am supported. And that, like, this this isn't it. This isn't the end. So I was able to kind of shift that during this, like, two-hour plane ride in, like, the rockiest conditions I've ever been in, in this tiny-ass plane in, you know, the middle of the Indian skies. You can see the smog from New Delhi. It was just crazy. But that lesson has really stuck with me. And so I think that, you know, I started this talking about my spiritual journey, and I, and I it's interesting hearing about, all the experiences that kind of feed into that because I think it's this, like, ever-evolving, ever-growing thing. And each experience, you know, we are led, you know, if you believe that we co-create with the universe, we are co-creating each experience that we then learn from. So that was my experience in India. Again, in Bali, I was facing a lot of difficult truths about just who I am as a person and really unlearning a lot of this, like, hustle mentality that I had. And when I came back from my trip, I was really in this, like, I had transformed. I I had, I, had learned how to tap into this sense of, like, pleasure in all things, pleasure in the moment. Like, I was vibrating at this frequency of pleasure, and I was just feeling amazing. And I knew that the lessons were really going to teach me, not from the experience, but in the integration of the experience. I knew that, you know, the hard, the, the difficult things where you really meet yourself, when you really learn, is when you're faced with everyday life and you still have to make those choices in everyday life. Because of course, it can be easy, you know, quote unquote, easy to learn how to breathe for 20 minutes on the floor when you're in class in India. And there's nothing, you know, that's why you're there. But how can you cultivate that same sense of presence and that same sense of ease and bliss, orgasmic bliss, which is what i had been experiencing, you know, in your everyday life when you're surrounded by other people's energies. And I'm a highly sensitive empath. So I take on a lot of people's energies. And you know, how do I build those productions for myself? So, I was moving to New York City and I was I felt really strongly that New York City was the place I needed to be because it was going to be my greatest teacher. I I really felt like it was going to show me those things to like how much have I integrated and how can I integrate these lessons that I've learned. And we all know how that happened or maybe you don't know, but I was basically in New York for two months and then the COVID pandemic happened, March 2020 happened, and I moved back to Connecticut. And so even though I had left Connecticut and when I left for my solo trip in the fall of 2019, I wasn't planning on ever moving back to Connecticut. My partner was still living there because he's stationed there on a contract with the Navy. But And so I knew I would come visit, but I I didn't want to live there. You know, my partner and I were planning to do short-term distance. I don't even want to say long distance because New York and Connecticut are pretty close to each other. But we were planning to live apart and do our own things. But with the pandemic, I moved back to Connecticut, was working from home. I had gotten a job in New York City working at a theater out there and was working from home. And so then, oh, that's when the real work happens, right? You know, I was really, again, I've always had this personality of seeking and seeking truth and seeking experiences. And suddenly we were all at home and we couldn't travel and I couldn't find that spiritual comfort that I was looking for and that I was used to. And I, during my solo trip, I will say that like I really feel like I purified my channel. I stopped eating meat and I had been eating meat like every day and when I went to India, I stopped completely. So I hadn't eaten meat, I hadn't smoked weed, I hadn't drank alcohol. I was eating really clean, eating really pure, meditating yoga every day. So I was feeling really good and like really, you know, again vibrating at this higher frequency. And then in the pandemic, I, you know, old coping mechanisms came back and started kind of dabbling and eating meat again, started smoking weed a little bit here and there. Again, like this was just a hard time for all of us. And, you know, that's how I was dealing with some of the harder parts of the pandemic and being in isolation and, you know, being cut off from our communities and from our connections. And so although I wish that I could say you know, I still kept my yoga practice and I was still meditating every day. And I still meditate. I still have a a practice of meditating, of yoga, of journaling, of walking, all of these things that I do to connect myself. But the practice now has really been to kind of notice when I'm feeling out of alignment and how to pick the things out of my toolbox that I've cultivated over the years, pick those things that I know will help me tap back into my sense of alignment and to my sense of flow and my feeling of purpose and feeling of connection. Because of course, during the pandemic, there were many periods of feeling disconnected. And then last July, no, it was last June in 2020, so almost a year ago, I was also getting the intuitive hit to participate in plant medicine and this was something that I had been thinking about for like two years leading up to it and was receiving the call again and again and just you know didn't again it was similar to kind of like my yoga teacher training where it was something I knew I wanted to do but didn't know like how it was going to line up and how it was going to align. And because of the pandemic and because just a whole bunch of different things, I participated in a plant medicine ceremony. I took ayahuasca, which doing ayahuasca was my, and, and I kind of want to do like a whole another solo episode on plant medicine and how that relates to creativity and consciousness. And I think it's a very fine line because I think that. You know, people can use these medicines without intention or, you know, can culturally appropriate some of these practices. And I acknowledge that me speaking as a white person, that this does not come from my indigenous culture or tradition, but it's something that I was privileged enough to be able to partake in in a very safe, safe environment. And so I participated in an ayahuasca experience with a very safe group, very supervised with two shamans. And it was my first experience with psychedelics. The only other like drug, quote unquote, or medicine that I had partaken in was uh weed. And we I I again I want to do a whole nother solo episode on like plant medicine and cannabis and creativity because cannabis has actually been a big part of my spiritual practice and a big part of my creative practice. And again, when used with intention and when used with integrity, it can be a really beautiful support. At least in my experience, I've I've found it to be the case when you're not like abusing it and using it with intention. But doing my ayahuasca journey really opened me up for the first time into this like second spiritual awakening. I was opened up to like behind the veil basically in like in short terms i can say like i feel like i went to the place where souls come from whether you want to call that heaven whether you want to call that beyond the veil you know on on the other side of the unknown but I feel like I, I went back home and the biggest feeling of my ayahuasca journey. And I, and I was, again, I was so fearful of doing this medicine. I felt called to do it, but I was so fearful because I had never done a psychedelic. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had heard stories of people going crazy or of like going, you know, to other timelines and dimensions. And, and I've heard from many people that I had listened to on other podcasts talking about ayahuasca as like the hardest thing they've ever done. And so I had all this fear surrounding it, similar to when I embarked on my solo trip. There was a lot of fear of like that next step of jumping off into the unknown. But again, coming back to that sense of place of trust and surrendering and and trusting that you weren't guided there for no reason, like you were guided there for a reason. So keep trusting that that feeling and that intuition and I was so nervous how I was going to go. But the first thing that happened when I took the ayahuasca was that this sense of like familiarity washed over me. And I was like, wait a second. I can't say that I've never done this before. Like I I have been here before. I remember this place. It was like this great sense of remembering which, oh my gosh, even talking about it now gives me chills because I had never experienced anything like that before where I I just truly felt like I went back home. I went back to where our souls come from. And so doing my ayahuasca, having my ayahuasca experience was a deeply spiritual, profound experience, which is why I'm interested in plant medicine in the first place. I'm not interested in it, in it recreationally. I'm interested in it for these like deep spiritual healing purposes. And... After that, I got like, again, there were so many lessons to integrate from that experience. And and again, the lesson is, you know, you have the experience, but then the true teachings, the true learning comes from integrating the experience and using what you've learned. And and how do you, you know, when you have this, this deeper or this more expanded perspective on something where you were previously a little more contracted or in the dark, you know, then how do you come at the world with this new knowledge and allow, you know, Be be more aware of, like, your triggers and and all of those things. So I started to get really into, like, past lives and learning about death. And death was something that I always held as a belief as, like, the worst thing that could happen. I always felt like, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, you could die. And that was always the story that I was telling myself. And after my ayahuasca experience, I really, like, started to study and learn more about death and like where do we go after we die and again this stuff can go really out there so you know if this isn't your belief or if this isn't your you know practice just take that you know as a grain of salt this is just me speaking from my experience have to say that again but yeah i was starting to read a lot of books some of the books that like really changed the way i think about this is journey of souls by michael newton i believe And then also Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian Weiss. Also the book Signs by Laura Lynn Jackson, which is one of my favorite, favorite books, all talking about the signs and the messages that the universe sends us or people or whoever or whatever is on the other side of that Of that veil beyond the, you know, going from the seen to the unseen, those are interacting and communicating with us every day. And, you know, how open and present can we be to the signs that are coming through? And so, if you follow me, I've talked a lot about dragonflies. Dragonflies have been my major sign for the past year, if not longer. And, you know, just noticing these like things like repeating numbers and synchronicities and all these things. Also, another great book recommendation that really helped me along my spiritual path in this like new second awakening was the Celestine Prophecy series by James Redfield, which is a book written in the 80s or 90s. And I love it so much. It reads like a fiction fantasy book, which is interesting, but there's so many potent lessons in it. So definitely check out. The Celestine Prophecy series and signs, if you want to read more, or learn more. So was really diving into this stuff. I started to learn more about and study and read and learn how to open the Akashic Records, which is something that Mallorene and I talked about because she did an Akashic Records reading for me. And so we have an episode on the Akashic Records. If you don't know what that is and you want to learn more about it, I encourage you to follow that ping of intuition if it's hitting you. But So I I feel like since that ayahuasca journey, it's like I have been diving really far into the realms of, like, you know, the veil, the veil lifting the seen and the unseen, especially in our current climate in the world where things are really heightened and really in this, like, pivotal time of history. And I want to say, too, like, I, you know, we're all on this journey of, you know, being a human and figuring out, like, what the hell we're doing here. And I come from the place or the openness of like knowing that I don't have the answers, that someone else doesn't have the answers, that like none of us really have the answers. None of us actually know what's happening or what's going on. So, you know, this kind of ties back to religion and thinking about religion and how people have these very firmly held beliefs based off their religion and their worldview, which I think is a beautiful thing to have. I don't think there's anything wrong with religion, but You know, I like to always, you know, be open to the possibility of anything, right? Just be open to the possibility that, like, everything I know could be debunked and, you know, not be made true tomorrow. And so I'm recording this now, kind of sharing where I'm at in my journey now, but knowing that, like, my perspective on these things could change. They could totally change. And that's okay. And that's encouraged. And so wherever you're at on your journey, like, if, if some of the stuff I've said, you're like, what the hell is she talking about? that's okay. Like, you are where you're supposed to be. And I think that's a beautiful lesson of spirituality, that, like, no one is better or worse than anyone. We're all, like, on this earth plane trying to figure it the fuck out. And also know that, like, your information and the messages that you need to learn from will be revealed to you as you continue along on your path. And so there's no need to, like, stress or worry or wonder, you know, you just kinda keep following your intuitive pings and hits and see where that leads you. See where that curiosity and that openness leads you. And if you're like I, I think I've I've felt I felt apprehensive about sharing a lot of my journey because a lot of it, you know, it's like I said, you still have to integrate the lessons. And so I'm still integrating and I'm still learning and I'm still processing. So now I'm really at this place with my spiritual journey where I've kind of, you know, I've done all the things. I've dabbled in all the things. And, you know, there's still more to learn. There's still more to uncover. I'm always going to be a student of life, a student of spirituality. I'm always going to be a seeker at heart, always Pondering and questioning the meaning of our existence. And also, another, I think, big part of my spiritual practice right now is, you know, of course, still meditating, still doing yoga, still writing, still walking, all those things that make me feel better and feel more in alignment. But also, I've been starting to go to therapy for the first time. And that has been another thing that I really felt a lot of fear about around because I didn't know what it was going to uncover. In my first session with my therapist, I told her, like, well, I don't know what I don't know, right? So like I I I don't even know. And so maybe that makes sense to you if you've had a similar experience with starting therapy. But I feel like now my my spiritual practice, you know, and I've I've in love with seeking and, and gathering and collecting information. But now I feel like I need to just kind of be for a while, especially this summer. I want to allow myself to really soften into the moment. And so a practice of presence is going to be my practice uh, for the next couple months. I mean, really, it should be forever, but that's kind of what I'm diving into right now. And I'm also at the precipice of another life-changing moment where my life is going to change. So... I'm kind of at this crossroads where I'm not sure what the next step is. And instead of me freaking out and being like, what is the next step? Where do I want to go? Like, I I kind of have this like feeling where I'm like, well, I can create anything I want. I can have anything I want. And then the question becomes, well, what do I want? And that is one of the hardest questions to answer, I think. I think, you know, throughout our society, we've been... You know, we either follow the path that's laid out in front of us or we follow the status quo or we just stay asleep to our own power and our own awareness and our own consciousness. And when you're aware and when you're conscious and when you're balancing both dualities, because life is about duality you know, you have to ask yourself, well, what do I want? What do I want to integrate next? And so I'm curious to know what that is. I will keep you well updated as I continue to figure it out. But yeah, I hope this episode was helpful. I feel like I kind of just rambled on about like my journey, but I, th- I think maybe it'll give you a, a deeper insight to where I come from and like what perspective I'm speaking from. And like I said, perspectives can change and I'm open to them changing. And so I would love to start a conversation with you. If you heard something that you resonated with or if you heard something that triggered you, that is also like welcome as well because I think our triggers can be our deepest teachers. So let me know. I would love to start a conversation with you and just kind of hear more about your journey and where you know what you've learned so far and how we can really, as Ram Das says, walk each other home. So that is my intention and purpose with sharing just more about my journey and my story of my spiritual journey and how it's evolved over the years and different things that I've learned and I'm continuously learning along the way. So thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to be here. Thank you for being open-minded. Thank you for being non-judgmental in in so many different ways but just thank you thank you thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart we will be back next week with some more episodes like i mentioned my friend Joyti, who i met online but who also studied yoga in rishikesh india which is such a cool serendipity life is truly just magic and when you align with your path this is something again that i've really learned that like when you align with your path All these beautiful synchronicities and opportunities just flow to you. So I'm hoping the same is happening for you. See you back next week with another interview. And until then, stay inspired, stay creative, and keep shining your creative soul. Love you guys.